This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Leif Magnuson, President, Kloss Global Sales Americas Incorporated, and Chair of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers Infrastructure Vision 2050 Task Force. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Leif Magnuson next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is forecasting a fourth year of lower farm income for U.S. farmers and ranchers. Tighter margins have brought a dramatic fall in U.S. farm equipment purchases over the same period. Leif Magnuson, president of Kloss Global Sales Americas, says this year will be a telling year for the agriculture equipment industry with hopes for stability. 17, I think, will be a year where on, in the professional segment we hope that we're going to see the market stabilizing. There are some early indications now, in, in, at least in the U.S., that commodity prices are uh, firming or edging upwards slightly, so that's a positive sign. Mm-hmm. We also see in our distribution that a lot of our dealers have taken care of the inventory that was out there, especially on uh, used inventory. But overall, globally, I think that uh, the last uh, two years has has been a perfect storm where most markets have pointed downwards. And usually, historically, there was always one market that was better than the other. But uh, it, it's been a tough uh, couple of years for, for our industry. Uh, but uh, we, we hope that 2017 will be more stabilizing. I noticed that the first month of 2017, the numbers in the United States not necessarily as good, 36, 37% down in four-wheel drive tractors and in harvesting machines, but also note that the past few months in Brazil have been pretty good, just the opposite. Absolutely, and, you know, I I always like to tell our people that, uh, you know, when the market is strong and hot, you never see the market going down. And there's also a lag when it comes to our industry. So four to six months after you see the industry uh, going down, you know, we, we will see the same effect. I also believe the same is true on the, on the downside, that uh, even though the numbers lately have not been the best in the U.S., I do believe that the markets will uh, stabilize uh, come this summer and going into the fall. As far as Latin America, you're right. I think my company, Klaus, and uh, some of our other competitors that we have, you know, they've, they've looked at uh, Latin America being the first market that will uh, lead maybe the recovery. And certainly we see that uh, uh, in Brazil, but uh, we're also seeing that in Argentina. Klaus, uh, we have uh, uh, a fairly large operation in Argentina, and, and we, we see that uh, our sales in Argentina this year will by far uh, exceed what uh, we have done in the last two years. Over the past several decades in the United States agriculture, we have seen consolidation 
larger operations, larger machines, certainly with the size, the ability to embrace more technologies. Are we seeing changes in agriculture and other portions of the world that also lend itself to larger machines and more innovation? Absolutely. Personally, I do business in in Central America and uh, also many other uh, countries in South America outside of Brazil and Argentina. And, you know, you go back three or five years ago and and we we sold pretty basic uh, technology, smaller machines into these markets. But uh, even with the smaller land size or farm size, we are also seeing a trend here to, to bigger machines, but also more technology. We've talked about, and even this past week in Washington, the House Agriculture Committee spent time talking about the farm economy. Uh, We generated equity in farms when prices were very good, but the cure for high prices is high prices and low prices, low prices as well. We've been fortunate that the equity that was built up in those good times have helped farms survive. Is it similar for the uh, equipment manufacturers? Are you able to weather the storm with uh, uh, the equity buildup in good years? And should we expect or should we fear fallout from the, the negative prices that we've seen? Well, that's a big question. I think, you know, if we start to look at the, on the farmer's side, uh, I, think that, I think you're right. I think the balance sheets uh, for the farmers today is much stronger than, than what it was, say, back in, in the 80s. You know, as far as equipment manufacturers, this is, you know, the good years is not necessarily something that we take with us uh, uh, into the future. You know, that's just uh, the the nature of uh, our business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think what we what what we do do is is that we 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 will turn around and invest uh, into research and development because. Our primary goal is, is to build a machine that is competitive, uh, that is efficient, and that is productive. And uh, I, I like to talk about uh, the, the machines that we build is not measured on the cost per hour. The machines that we build is measured on the cost per bushel or cost per ton. And that's the real measurement that we need to look at. And we as a company are investing a high percentage of our turnover into R&D. In fact, it was almost 6% in, in 2016, which is benchmarking in the industry that's one of the highest. When we think of your association, 450 agriculture companies ultimately are competitors, but at the same time also working together. You share a common theme as you are chair of now with regard to infrastructure. And this administration has suggested reinvesting in America and reinvesting in infrastructure. What do you see that we're failing now? Is it just roads or are there other areas that you and others see need to change? You know, the timing for a discussion on infrastructure is so perfect. And this is a bipartisan concern. And I think you you can recall during the presidential campaign, both parties was talking about how we need to rebuild our infrastructure. And it's very true. You know, the United States had an infrastructure advantage for the last 30 to 50 years. It kind of started with the highway system that was basically completed, you know, getting into the late 70s and early 80s. And the cost of moving freight has reduced from about 16% of U.S. GDP down to about 8% of GDP today. So, on the other hand, we are today seeing huge bottlenecks and congestions on the highways. 
and uh, I think the Trackers Association put up a study shows that well over a hundred thousand hours is being lost due to to stoppage or delays on the highways. This uh, re- represents about more than six billion dollars in wasted time. And if you want to put it in layman terms, you could take 50,000 truck drivers and put them idle for a full year. That is the condition of our highways today. But, you know, it's not all about good old highways. It's also about rail. We have probably today over 400 to 500,000 rail cars that is moving grain on, on that. We need to continue to build uh, up the rail system. The waterways are critical especially when it comes to agriculture and bringing food to uh, the table uh, and keep the costs down and, of course, to, to compete also in, in, uh, in, in trade. Uh, I think you know, Jeff, that uh, the U.S. agriculture trade is one of the few sectors where we actually have a trade surplus of about $16 billion, and we trade about $130 billion. So... Uh, another study shows that uh, we are losing about a hundred thousand hours in delays at our water uh, at, at our water locks today, mm-hmm. and you know, if we had an infrastructure advantage in the last thirty-five to fifty years, I think this is about to disappear, and I think this is what AEM's infrastructure vision 2050 is all about: is to talk about what type of infrastructure do we need thirty years from now. And think about it. Productivity on the farm is going to continue to increase. And that means that in 30 years from now, we need to double almost the capacity that we have in order to move grains or livestock or other services or, or goods to the consumers and being available for to be competing also on the export market. The other thing that is a newer thing for infrastructure is technology. We as a company keep loading up new innovations into our machines. In fact, Claus was the first company to put telematics on uh, agricultural equipment. And our machines are full of sensors that is talking to each other and making this machine more productive and efficient. This is going to be the main driver for productivity increase in machines. But machines today is also connected to each other. So they form a system of machines. And, and this system of machines, this is, generates data that the farmer desperately needs in order to make the right decisions. So he needs to pull this data from the machines uh, in an effective way, share this data with his trusted partners like agronomists and, and so forth. The fact is that broadband is really not developing at the speed that we need in the rural areas. 17% of the U.S. population doesn't have broadband. Over half of the rural communities has a broadband band width that is less than 25 megabits per second. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need, we need faster connectivity. And if we want to keep the competitive edge, keep creating not only sustainability for the farmers and ranchers, but as you know, rural communities are also the leader in in, uh, employers of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We need this in order to stay competitive. So if the need is there, which is obvious and it's great, it's also expensive, how do we pay for it? Public-private partnership, investment outside, higher taxes? How do we fund such a task? Jeff, that's a $64 question. And I do recall during the discussion about the Highway Trust Fund 
that was actually passed here in 2015, but for eight years it, the can was just kicked down the road. And the discussion was not so much about what infrastructure do we need, it was about how to be funded. Obviously funding is important, it's critical, and we're going to need it. But what we want to try and do with the Infrastructure Vision 2050 is to, to, to let's start talking about solutions. Let's start talking about creative, innovative solution uh, that will generate a higher economic growth. And, and you know infrastructure and GDP growth is uh, interlinked. You invest in infrastructure, you're going to get a higher GDP. You get a higher GDP, it's going to drive needs for more infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I think that if we can, if we can address as an association, uh, it's hard for us to address the funding side, but we can address the solutions. And with solutions, I believe that there is not only going to be a need for public money, but with the right solutions, I think that the private sector will be willing to invest there as well. The administration has suggested we're just a few days away from their announcement with regard to taxes. Would corporate tax relief help your members? Absolutely, and and I think that uh, most members uh, in AEM would agree, our company agree, uh, the United States is long overdue for tax reform. Uh, I think there are two things that the President is talking about, tax reforms and deregulations. So, you know, uh, he has said uh, on a regulation side, he has said for every new regulation we need to take two away. And Certainly some regulations are necessary, certain standards are important to meet. We need uh, to have safe equipment. Uh, we need, it needs to be safe to operate a machine. It needs to be um, meeting most uh, environmental standards. That's not the type of regulation that we necessarily are against. We are against all the red type uh, inefficiencies, bureaucracies, and other things that we are forced to do as companies when it comes to regulations. And that really also ties back to taxes. So how the new administration will deal with this, it's, uh, we, it's wait, to, wait and see. I think uh, the president has one idea, but he also needs to take this through Congress. If you're an international company and if you're looking for a place to expand, would you suggest the tax structure and the regulatory environment in the U.S. are conducive for growth of industry and investment in industry compared to other segments of the world? I, I think if we can reform our tax system, and, and this not only for corporations but also for individuals, I think that's a, a big step that is also going to drive uh, uh, higher investments you know, in the manufacturing industry. And you know, if, if, if investment comes... You're going to create jobs, and I think still the United States is a very attractive place to be compared to many other places around the world. This administration also has an emphasis on trade, more bilateral than multilateral. Is the equipment industry directly impacted by these trade relationships between countries, or is it indirect in how that it affects your customers? Yeah, it, it, that's a good question, and I think... It, if I refer back to TPP, it was more of an indirect benefit, I think, to us. But certainly as a manufacturer, we create a lot of manufacturing jobs because we are exporting. We're a German company, Klaus, but we build our combines in Omaha, Nebraska, 
and actually almost uh, 40% of our combine production is being exported outside of the United States. So uh, this is also a, an economic driver, no, not only to our company, but also to the state and, and, and to the country. But circling back, I think that the agricultural industry is obviously our customer. And I think that trade, and I, I go back again, it's a trade surplus of $16 billion today. And I know that the Farm Bureau uh, made a study on TPP, and they said that uh, they estimated that it would increase uh, trade by about $4 billion. Uh, obviously, TPP is off the table right now, but um, I do believe the president has said that he wants to have individual discussions with countries on more of a bilateral thing. So, so, so this is this is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what we would like to see certainly would be then the right countries. Uh, when when you talk about uh, some of our some of our beef and, 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 and other products, you know, going into Japan, you know, Japan would be very important in this, China would be very important in this. So um, uh, we, uh, we will wait and see what the administration does. You're an international association with a North American home. So the relationship between the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, if there is a discussion of the renegotiation of NAFTA, are there points there that you would hope for improvement or areas you might be concerned about? I, I think, you know, at, at first glance, you may say, well, don't touch NAFTA because it, you know, it has worked uh, for many manufacturers, uh, you know, especially the trade with Canada, uh, but also Mexico. You know, Mexico is a big, uh, is a big trading partner, you know, when it comes to our equipment, especially agricultural equipment manufacturers, because we export into Mexico and we export also to Canada. So, but, you know, let's take a good look at it. It's like when you run your own business, you, 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 you have a good program going, but that doesn't mean that you every now and again introduce an RFP, a request for proposal. You are always wanting to make sure that you're doing it the best cost-effective way, the most productive way, uh, and, and I think that's what this administration is wanting to do in the NAFTA discussion. Leif Magnuson, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us again here on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and, sir, you have an open forum. You know, it's it's great to, to be talking to you. As you know, we were in Louisville, and we had a great panel discussion on infrastructure. The timing here for this dialogue couldn't be better. If anything, I am going to uh, encourage, uh, you know, the staff and, and the folks at uh, AEM uh, especially at DC office to make sure that we as AEM members, 950 strong, including 450 AG members, can get to the table and discuss what type of infrastructure is needed uh, in the next 30 years for the United States to maintain its infrastructure advantage. So, uh, President Trump, uh, we know that you have brought... Uh, uh, leaders, business leaders in to uh, roundtable discussions and we as, a, as an association and member companies are willing to sit down with you and talk about infrastructure as well. Our thanks to Leif Magnuson, President of Kloss Global Sales Americas and Chair of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers Infrastructure Vision 2050 Task Force. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. 
See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.